0: Welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, we are talking all about Android 15. The first developer preview is now available as you're listening. What we don't know is enormous, as all developer (laughs) previews tend to do. They talk about developer-focused features, but we do know a few things that might give us hints at what Google is integrating for the final release. Google Gemini 1.5 is here. This is a very quick cadence for Google's LLM. We'll talk a little bit about that. OpenAI introduced the most bananas text to video creator thing, although it's not really available yet. It's called Sora, it's very interesting. And Microsoft, despite rumors to the contrary, is not getting rid of hardware. We're not a console podcast, but I think this, is, this warrants a little bit of a conversation. And then there's some grab bag stuff. The S24's display is too bright, not bright enough. Too vivid, not vivid enough. You know how it goes. And uh, a couple of other small things. All right, we're here. Will Saddleberg, what's going on?
1: Yeah, I'm here. I, I, as we were talking about before we hit record, I had Monday and Tuesday off, so this feels like a really weird week. Uh, it, I don't know. It's it's long weekends always screw me up. I don't think that's just a me thing. It's it makes it everything feel off.
0: And uh, President's Day is coming up on Monday, so... True, yeah. Do you have to work through that? I do. I do. Oh. I well, know. So your president doesn't love you enough to give a... No, no give not, not
1: enough off. to give me the holiday off, nor enough to forgive my student loans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have a Family Day on Monday, so it's a holiday for
1: me. Oh, Family... We don't have a Family Day in the US. I guess we just don't care about families enough. You don't?
0: No. No. It started because Ontario didn't have a February holiday, civic holiday. Yeah, and uh, they needed something, so they aligned it with President's Day. But we're like, I don't know, the weather's shitty. Yeah, spend it with your family? (laughs) Question mark. So, like twenty years ago or so when it was created, they had all these like family centric things that they had planned. Okay, and then it just sort of into the background and now it's just
1: now it's it's the february holiday yeah yeah that's funny they didn't want to do like prime minister's day
0: oh no nobody (laughs) would have enjoyed that
1: oh yeah like we all everyone's shooting off fireworks for president's
0: day yeah yeah yeah
1: um yeah
0: anyway um so this week I, i mean there's a bunch of stuff i think the main headline here is android 15 is here in some small form yeah as with all first developer previews, the blog post, the change log is like not really that interesting, but I think there are a few things that we can point out. So why don't we go through them and then tease out a little bit about what we think these mean for the actual user facing changes coming in, you know, October? Yeah, it, it, October.
1: And we should preface this. I think this is worth it by saying that like usually when we record these they've released the software update on a Wednesday or a Thursday and we, we record on a Thursday or a Friday so like we can be like yeah we've used it or whatever but we're we're recording this an hour before the embargo ends, so we actually haven't like it'll be out when this goes out but we haven't touched it we have the change log we have that we we know everything about it but like the literal update is not available to download for 70 more minutes from now like as I'm talking so if it's you know like why didn't they talk about this hidden secret that was found at 4 p.m on friday like that's why (laughs) but yeah i mean i mean looking over the blog post like a lot of this is as you said it's developer focused i think android os upgrades have really become focused since android 12 or since i should say android 13 right not counting 12 with a with a full redesign with material U but since android 13 so now 13 14 15 on privacy and security above like all else, it's the top thing in this blog post that I'm looking at protecting user privacy and security. I think that makes OS upgrades feel a little more boring than they used to because a lot of the stuff that we would look for, you know, maybe more in betas than developer previews, but still is held back by Google for either play service updates down the road or even just straight up pixel exclusive features, stuff that would have maybe at one point come to every Android phone is now a pixel exclusive, right? with that said it's good to see them still working on user and secu- user privacy and security it's good to see um i want to talk a little bit about these in-app camera controls that could make a bigger difference into how you're shooting photos or videos but a lot of this is like especially in dp1 like really designed for developers to start prepping for somewhere between august and october
0: yeah I think it's not even worth mentioning the privacy stuff because we don't actually know how that's going to play out, right? These are new APIs.
1: Yeah, just not beyond the fact that we are on the third year in a row of that being like the big thing they're championing. Like, I think when we were reporting on Android 13 two years ago, it was easy to be like, oh, this is like a big focus on privacy and security. Like, bigger changes might come next year, the year after. And now it feels a little bit more like, no, this is what these OS upgrades are, is that they are, this is where Google can focus on privacy and security.
0: I think at a philosophical level, what it keeps coming down to every year is that Google continues to try to balance the inherent openness of Android with APIs that force developers into building features in a certain way that close the number of potential vulnerabilities to bad actors, right? This is true of all software development, but I think it's much more difficult to do on a desktop OS. and an OS that is a little bit more sprawling like a Mac OS or Windows. And Google has always towed this line between Android equals open, therefore it's closer to a desktop OS. And as we've seen since the days of like Android 8, Android 9, they have clearly focused on wrenching back some of that control. And they're very strict about what APIs developers have access to and which ones they don't. Some of them are public APIs, some of them are private APIs. Even the public APIs are, are, are frowned upon because of the fragmented nature of Android. They take years and years and years to deprecate some of these features. So every time they launch a new API, you know these new ones that are coming in Android 15 are unlikely to be utilized for another five years or so. And the fact that they're there doesn't actually mean that they're going to be enforced anytime soon. But... What they're slowly doing is removing a lot of that old crud replacing them with more purpose-built modules that they can help developers build apps with without opening the door to malware and i think now even though we still don't know exactly the proportion of users on older versions of Android. I mean, we, we get maybe now a yearly update on which devices are using Android 10, Android 11, Android 12. But like, in general, that's not really the big deal anymore. It doesn't matter if your phone's running Android 12 as much as it is about, is it up to date with security patches? Does it use the latest version of Play Services? And um, have they backported support for all of these new APIs through various jetpacks and other things that allow them to take advantage of these features. Like None of this is user-facing at all. Most people just want to know that the app that they open is not going to expose their private information and their personal data. So it's unlikely this will ever stop, where Google says, this year we're improving privacy and security. It's like, yeah, okay, good. The day that stops is the day that Google basically throws its hands up in the air and says, we've lost this fight. And I don't think that'll ever happen. Uh, the second one is weird though. So supporting creators and helping developers take advantage of premium hardware features. This could come in the form of a number of things. Google's saying that in the early iteration of this, it's adding quote extensions for more precise control of camera hardware so creators can take advantage of high end camera capabilities. We're also refining the OS before the final consumer release to help developers leverage premium hardware features such as powerful GPUs and AI processing so developers can deliver top tier app experiences to their users. This could be enormous if it's done properly, right? If it's done in a way that actually has a meaningful impact to the overall experience, because the way that it typically works these days is Samsung will implement these features or Huawei will implement them or OnePlus will have like a gaming mode or a custom camera integration or whatever. But the fact that Android 15 is building extensions that will be available to all developers to use is, I think, a very big deal.
1: The two that they're calling out specifically are um, low-light enhancements that give developers control to boost the brightness of the camera preview and advanced flash strength adjustments, enabling precise control of flash intensity in both single and torch modes while capturing images. So I think they're starting small on this, but I, I agree with you that I think as they continue to add to these camera extensions i think that it will like benefit third party apps across it doesn't matter what device you're using right like it, the partnerships won't meet as much anymore
0: yeah it also means that if a phone supports say the galaxy s24 has some sort of inherent low light boost that gives the normal camera app like it'll boost the brightness of the preview in addition to the final photo that's taken, Instagram or Snapchat or any other camera extension will have access to that, theoretically. Like, you may be able to get a good night shot photo eventually from the preview, but it doesn't typically show you in that preview, at least not always, because the camera app itself is the thing that's doing the communication with the hardware. The other thing that I think is more interesting here is that it's saying we'll refine the OS to help developers leverage premium hardware features like powerful GPUs and AI processing. I mean, this could be seen in a number of ways, right? This is Google trying to say that we're finally going to take advantage of all the processing power in the latest Snapdragon 8 Gen 3 style chips and actually give you a reason to spend more money on these phones because the returns have been diminishing for a while now. And it's very unclear to a lot of people outside of say camera performance why you would want to spend all this money on a really, really high-end phone, especially for the processing capabilities. So it's unclear what the actual outcome looks like at the moment, but I, I do think this is potentially quite good for gamers, for people that want to do video and image editing and things like that to take advantage of GPUs that are not really being worked all that hard these days
1: what's so frustrating i guess about developer reviews is that like it's a lot of promise or like a generic idea of how it'll be but we won't know what these changes mean or how they'll affect phones for like a while right like it's difficult to know what Android 15 will mean for GPU performance until it's like out in the wild as a finished product and that like developers and, and and OEMs are like actually like optimizing for these changes. Yeah,
0: I mean in the in the dynamic performance part of this, which is quite interesting, they're adding a power efficiency mode and increasing thermal headroom thresholds. So what this will allow developers to do will just say, okay, well, this Thread or this app should engage a power efficiency mode that will turn off certain parts of the hardware, background processes, things like that, and just kind of coast. So overall battery life should improve. And then allowing apps to ramp up and down the frequency of your CPU, depending on how much headroom there is in terms of heat available to you, right? Like a OnePlus 12 that says that it has a really good copper pipe thing that like distributes heat better the thermal threshold for a phone like that might be better than the average mid-range Android phone that doesn't have that so even if a phone like a, a gaming phone might have the same base frequencies but a much higher thermal threshold so it can be pushed higher and a game may be able to engage that in a more dynamic way That's the theory here is that you either get more performance or you get longer battery life. Those toggles will theoretically be available to the user if the app integrates them. So, all of these things sound great. What's not in here is any mention of like foldables, which have been in these early previews for the last two years. Yeah. It seems like Google's just said, we've done what we can with foldables now, right? There was 12L, there's 13, 14. They did their work, you know, they built the infrastructure, and now it's up to other companies to actually start making good experiences.
1: It's so funny because I still think the experience you get on a Pixel Fold is leagues behind both what Samsung and OnePlus have done, (laughs) but whatever. You know what? Like, you know, there's a difference between the Pixel experience and the underlying Android experience, but it is just funny to be like, our work here is done, and it's like, I guess, Your competitors are adding on to Android in interesting ways that you don't seem. The Google of 10 years ago would take ideas that Samsung was working on in TouchWiz and be like, that's an interesting concept. Let's build something that is like this into Android proper. And like that just isn't there anymore. So it's frustrating and it makes these OS upgrades feel a lot smaller than they should be. But I've been thinking a lot. I wrote a piece that went up this morning about the Pixel Fold 2 abandoning an interesting design to just kind of chase what oneplus did and so i've been thinking a lot about the pixel fold too and it's just like i don't particularly like the pixel fold but there is a lot of potential there and it is just like from the software side where all they've really done is like okay you can now force apps to run full screen and then to the hardware side where they're like there were problems with the first gen hardware in terms of like i think the design was a good idea poorly executed or middlingly executed and it seems like they're quick to just walk away from that design and be like here's a phone that looks like the one that you guys all liked like i don't know google's foldable passion feels similar to how they feel about tablets which is to say it changes daily (laughs) how, how excited they are about the form factor
0: yeah which doesn't surprise me because i think there's an ambivalence in general toward the form factor not just from the oems i think it ebbs and flows this week has been the Honor Magic V2, yeah. Porsche Design, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's been publishing their stuff. And everybody's saying like, beautiful hardware, shitty software. And it took until the OnePlus Open for me to kind of realize that even bad software on a foldable, if it just does the bare minimum of make you feel like you've, you've spent your money wisely, the bar is so low at the moment that it's
1: not a good place to be. Well, no one's been able to shut up, including me, especially me. No one's been able to shut up about Open Canvas for four months now because it's the only multitasking tool that feels like it's actually using the form factor. Well, even like Samsung, which does an ok job and unfoldable with one U i, like it's still just kind of like, you know how on a on your s24 you can do side-by-side windows what if you did more side-by-side windows because it's a bigger screen and it's like yeah i guess that's not really a creative way to think about it though and like OnePlus was the one company and i'm oxygen os has its problems but like the one company that was like there is a way we can think about this that uses the screen in a different form than a typical slab phone and I'd like to see that from Google. I'd like to see that on the Android side, but they just seem unwilling to bring that creativity to the table. Yeah.
0: I just don't think foldables are for everybody. I mean, we don't want to no. tread this. We've talked about this yeah. at length on this show, but there are several people I know that try to foldable and have since gone back to a regular non-foldable form factor because it's just not always the right decision. So just
1: in terms of availability, it looks like pretty standard two developer previews, a handful of betas, platform stability around June. I don't remember this line being in here that it isn't. So it goes from July to final release. That's usual. Like we saw that last year, but there is there is a line in between the two that makes me kind of think that they're hedging their bets on on a final release being available in August, which obviously it did not happen last year. And I just think that's funny. There's nothing there. It's just like, We will get a final release of this between August and October, like one of those three months. And then maybe more interestingly is that this is the first round of developer previews and betas that leaves behind Snapdragon pixels, right? Like this is for Pixel 6 and newer. And I just think that we've hit an interesting uh, time period in these developer previews. Yeah,
0: there's no more Snapdragon, no more Qualcomm support.
1: Once the beta hits, and especially at probably at I/O, we'll we'll, it'll have the wider beta program for Android 15, and OnePlus will be like you can try running or Sam, you know Samsung, whatever. Like we'll we'll get a broader beta period where you'll see Android 15 running on Qualcomm chips. But for now, like it it is just interesting that it's like this is the first time that it's just on sensor chips for a few months.
0: Yeah, that's actually an. I, I think just so much easier for Google almost certainly, to focus yeah. on developing for a single architecture. Yeah. Right? They had to do it for 2 years where they were developing on the tensor whatever it's called, the tensor G1, G2, G3. You just have to focus on on that one Xeno space architecture for better or for worse. For worse, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> i mean uh, i made a joke
1: I, I, I made a joke this morning that was like and now finally all of google's like android updates for tensor phones will be stable and perfect because yep. <laughs> like it's prob like smooth sailing from here absolutely nothing will go wrong that's it's not true there will stuff will still go wrong but i'd like to be hopeful that like they kind of iron this stuff out but we'll we'll see that's kind of all i have to say about android 15 from here i mean i mean probably talk a little bit more about it next week we'll have you know i'm sure michelle will dig very deep into all the hidden stuff that is not going to be in this blog post that we're working off right now you and i can actually like try it out and so on but that's kind of what google is highlighting in their announcement all right let's talk a little bit about gemini 1.5
0: so this came a bit out of the blue i would say gemini as we talked about last week is both a user-facing product now as well as the backend that supports the product called Google Gemini, right? So last summer at Google I.O., the company teased Gemini as the successor to Palm 2, which was running Bard up until that point. Then in December, Gemini took over the backend processing of Google Bard, and they launched Gemini Mini, Gemini Pro, and Gemini Ultra, and then, Recently they launched the front-end product called Google Gemini which replaced Bard as well as a paid service called Gemini Advanced. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yes. Which would give you access to Gemini Ultra 1.0. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I got it, it right. It's
1: it's just I get I get I should I should earn
0: something for that i should earn <laughs> yeah, a shot of a vodka
1: gold. oh sure i was gonna say a gold star but yeah you get to i'll when take a shot recording. of vodka and then i'll get a gold star
0: uh, so now just as of this week yeah. gemini 1.5 has been announced it is not available to the public yet but eventually the version of gemini that runs on gemini pro 1.0 or gemini 1.0 pro will be replaced by gemini 1.5 pro and what Google is saying is that Gemini 1.5 Pro is almost as capable as Gemini 1.0 Ultra. And the reason for it is this idea of a massive context window for the ability to basically see a lot of things at once. If you upload a, a video to some AI database and you have the model run through it, It supports a million tokens, which is like seven times better than ChatGPT4 or GPT-4 Turbo at the moment. And the idea here is Google used a full movie, a Buster Keaton film, to basically show what this looks like. So you upload an hour and a half of footage, uses 634,000 tokens, and it allows the model to ingest this entire movie at once. And then you can ask questions based on this piece of content so for google's purposes it's like thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of code that you can ingest in there and then the model will be able to process it once the ingestion is done a million tokens is according to sundar Prachai, like the length of the fellowship of the ring i don't know if it's the uncut version or the <laughs> or this the director's cut version or the regular version yeah. But suffice to say This is a big deal. It's a big leap for LLMs, but it's also not that important yet because nobody can play with it. right? But what this does mean is Google is just frantically trying to one-up OpenAI.
1: Absolutely. Two months. Two months between Gemini's announcement and, and this. Like, that's crazy.
0: Yeah. As I said, it's a weird branding problem because... It's two months between the announcement of Gemini as the replacement for Palm, but it's also just a couple of weeks since Gemini, the product, replaced Bard.
1: Well, this is what I was going to say when you were truly uh, mesmerizing me uh, with your ability to remember all of these is like, I get the idea behind folding everything under a single brand name, right? Like I, I get in concept i get white but like does it just actually make things more complicated when you sit down to try to remember every single tier of gemini's llm and gemini the llm not gemini the product like i i are we just going to be like constantly confused and and i'm going to have to triple check any time i write about this stuff at this point like kind of feels that way
0: yes you will but also google rightly so is saying nobody outside Nobody of talks you and I LLums, really yeah. need to know what is powering Gemini, yeah. right? Gemini, the product is powered by some LLM of, depending on the context, it's Gemini Mini or Gemini Pro or Gemini Ultra, doesn't matter which version it is, it can just do a whole bunch of stuff and then there will be a change log and the change log will allow them to do even more things. Yeah, I think the difference here is for a lot of people, will Gemini replace Google Assistant? Will Gemini be better than Google Assistant? Will it be worse? We, right now, we know that if you replace Assistant with Gemini, there are a lot of things you just can't
1: do. We talked about this on the show last week. Yeah. Well, it's not even just if you. It's, it's, I don't remember if we said this, but when you install, because it, it was so fresh, but when you install Gemini, uh, it, it replaces Assistant on its own on your Android, like as, as your phone's Assistant. Right. If you install it on a Pixel or whatever, it, it, it goes like, all right, buy Assistant, like Gemini takes over from here, which is kind of a problem when it's not fully baked yet. But
0: also, that's not really being, people are not being told this. No, you know, no. You download Gemini because you want to have a chatbot on your phone and all of a sudden the thing that you use every day has been replaced. And whether or not you like Assistant, for better or worse, it's been a part of Android forever.
1: You're using it to control lights and other things around your house, right? It's not just like you're using it to to ask questions and Gemini is a better version of that. It's like Gemini is not particularly good at smart home commands right now to suddenly swap that out. That can be a problem. Exactly.
0: So this is not available to anybody except people who like enterprise users who have access to AI studio, the version that will eventually just replace Gemini pro in the free version of Gemini, the product which replaced BARD, will have up to 128,000 token support. So it's going to be exactly the same context window as GPT-4 Turbo. But that's fine. Most people don't need to upload a 45-minute video to uh, actually work out when something happened in a movie. But it is interesting, right? It's interesting how quickly this is happening. It's interesting how Google is trying to appease investors The technical stuff is really for investors and for the scholars to show their work. Then they have like Gemini, the product, which is, hey, we have this thing. It's free for most people. But if you really want the best process or the best version of this, pay us 20 bucks a month. I have not decided whether I'm going to do that yet because $20 a month is expensive. I spent a lot of money on other subscriptions already. I'm not convinced that spending money to get access to a paid version of a chatbot is worth my money. Not yet.
1: At least. Let me ask you this. Would you pay money for a text to video model?
0: I would not. <laughs> okay. Not unless it shows me Will Smith really just reading, going down on spaghetti terrible yeah. spaghetti. Yeah. Just the worst spaghetti. <laughs> so here's a couple of things that OpenAI announced this week. One is that you will soon be able to have a history with mm-hmm. ChatGPT. So that means you'll be able to say, like, hey, I have two kids. Here, here's their ages. I go vacation at this place every year. I have brown hair. I, I live in Toronto, Canada. And then it will be able to put those things into context when it gives you answers. And those details will also be available to the GPTs, the extensions that other companies can come in and help you. So say you need to repair your car. You tell GPT that I have a Toyota Corolla 2004 and I need to get a part. What's the part I need? Where's the part? Where's the best place to get this part, right? You can see where this goes. You get much more refined, personalized results when you give more of yourself to the LLM. What I find fascinating about this is they're basically creating a cookie. They're creating an AI cookie. They're basically asking you to divulge personal information in exchange for a better experience. In the case of ads, you accept cookies in exchange for a better ad experience, the ability for websites to track you across the internet. That's why all of your Instagram ads are things that you saw on a website an hour before, right? Uh, Cookies are going away. They are disappearing at some point, and they're being replaced by much more anonymized, large data set versions of cookies, but they'll be much more privacy focused. I'm very curious about what form this takes and whether in the future, there will be some sort of standardized version of this token that you can share with all LLMs at once, right? If you have a file that has a certain amount of personal information that you're willing to share and that you give access If you're in Chrome, for example, do you allow Gemini and GPT and all the other LLMs to just access this bucket of personal data, and therefore the LLMs just get more personal? Or is it going to be, hey, I logged into GPT-4, I'm allowing them to see this information, Gemini sees this information. As these things get more integrated into your life, there should be some way of Them getting to know you as a user, yeah, we're not there yet.
1: No, but this is like, (laughs) I need to rewatch her. I think is where I'm at at this point. Where I'm like, oh, did they just get it right? Actually, were we? Maybe they did. This is all I keep thinking about. Where I'm like, did you see these Bose earbuds they announced this week? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I'm like looking at these, and I'm like, if you just put like OpenAI in these or or Gemini or whatever you're not that far you're like five years away from like (laughs) like a her situation (laughs) maybe not the like all of the ais got up and left kind of thing but like certainly the like new york post runs a headline that's like guy falls in love with his ai bot or whatever i mean we're already there with with we're definitely there. we're already there but, but like with a personalized it's constantly speaking to you in a way where it's not just like generating nonsense but it's actually being like how did your meeting go with your bosses today or whatever? Like, it's like actually asking you questions or shit. I know that is not a particularly like insightful read, but I just like all of this stuff seems to be building towards like these bots are truly going to remember everything about you. And then also like, we're just going to like let them advertise everything to you. Like, cause why, why wouldn't we? That's infinite money or whatever.
0: There, you know, that moment in her where he's got, the phone in his shirt pocket and yeah. he's showing her Yeah, he's running through the subway and like dancing and
1: her sounds terrible when s- you talk about it <laughs> outside runs of watching up to the
0: beach movie. and yeah. then he just lies on the beach for a few hours yeah i was thinking about this in the context of mental illness yeah and how today if you saw somebody giddily dancing their way through a subway platform you would assume that they are unwell. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe they their joy and and happiness and and just like overall positivity would would be would make you smile and you just think, oh, that person had a really good day. But like there's a fine line between that and like somebody not being tethered to reality. At least that's the perception that we have of mental illness. And somebody is filming that uploads it to Reddit, and all of a sudden that person's the main character for the day, right? And it struck me that that was the impression that we had when the Vision Pro was released a couple weeks ago, and yeah. the day after people were walking around driving their cyber trucks and eating at restaurants. I was
1: I was going to say this sounds like the Casey Neistat <laughs> Vision Pro, yeah, video like where the, he's the like on the subway collapse,
0: yeah. You know, it's like some people. If you're Casey Neistat wearing the Vision Pro uh, on your electric skateboard across New York, everybody thinks you're fucking rad. But if you're like the sad dude eating by themselves at a restaurant, Mm. you're not rad. You're just like somebody who wasted $3,500 to ignore people even more than they already were in public. And like, that's not how I'm reading it. It's not like I don't assume the person that's doing that is sad. I'm happy if you're enjoying your salad while you're watching a 3D movie on your vision pro i just think like increasingly that is going to be important to understand like the context of how people use these experiences is as important as the experiences themselves i finished this book recently i just i actually i, I we were talking about it last week i think um oh do you uh, remember yeah Being the, Born the the, the by, canadian by author yes yeah so i finished the book i don't think i finished it l- last week And what struck me about about this was like, he actually used a version of GPT-3 to create his own software that ingested all of this beautiful, classic poetry to help him write better poetry, right? And this comes up in the context of Sora, because in addition to history this week, OpenAI released Sora, which is or unveiled, sorry, not released it. It's a chatbot that essentially allows you to prompt the creation of videos. And these videos look ridiculously good, way better than they did a year ago. And while this is a very, very effective marketing stunt because nobody has access to this yet, it is remarkable that even cherry-picking the best of the best, you can see how far they've come. There's physics, there's broader context there's just everything that you want out of video generation here it's unclear how this is going to be leveraged if it's just going to be a part of gpt the way that dolly 3 is or if it's going to be a standalone product how the company's going to monetize it etc etc but like wow you know
1: yeah i would describe the reaction that i saw online to this as apocalyptic people were very scared of I would say the knee jerk reaction, uh, at least on Twitter, was people being very scared of the potential of maybe not specifically this iteration of the tool, but what the tool looks like in five years. Because obviously, we only have their samples to work off, right? And so, one of the samples is of like a woman with a birthday cake and everyone in the background is clapping. And like it looks very realistic on first glance. And then you like pay attention to anything that's happening in the video and it's like, every like fake person in the video doesn't know how to use their hands so they'll like clap twice and then start to look like a baby like just kind of waving their hands around like they don't know what to do which is to say it's kind of in the same state as or maybe where ai photos were a year ago where it's like extremely easy like if you look at them for more than two seconds to like tell this is fake because they're there they're there and they're all don't make any sense and like Again, you know, in five years, I mean, we've seen AI imagery come, you can still identify it as, as fake, but I would say that it is noticeably better than a year ago. Where does that go from here? <laughs> and I think everyone jumps to like, can't wait to watch myself commit a crime that I didn't do. But um, I kind of struggle. I guess like my biggest problem right now is outside of like generic stock imagery. I, I like struggle to think of what you would really want to use ai created videos for which is not a thing i think about with photos i i get where the photos come in more so than with maybe this is me just like not thinking not being imaginative enough but i'm like looking at what i can do now at least and being like i guess if i was making a presentation and i needed like three stock images and i or stock videos and i didn't want to go get stock video i could just generate stuff but like other than the fact that it's limited to 60 seconds, you're not gonna like make a movie out of this stuff, right? And so that's forever away. But even then, I still think of like you can only do so much with this of like people walking around, even in like science fiction settings, like people walking around or people clapping as someone blows out candles on a birthday cake. And I don't, I just, I, I am concerned about the possibility of faking videos of real people as much as anyone else. But at the same time, I look at this. And I don't think as opposed to like other AI stuff where I think about potential job loss of like, ah, we'll just replace writers with a chatbot. That's fine. Or we'll replace like photographers with like a an image generator. That's fine. Like I can't imagine replacing a videographer, or like a cinematographer, like in real actors and real people and like everything involved with like anything created by this tool that would make any sense commercially or even like, well, I guess really commercially, like which would be the concern about art. jobs i don't know i have a harder time freaking out about this as opposed to and and this is kind of i guess building on the conversation you and i had last week about both our curiosity of these tools and our fear of, of being replaced by them in some form and i don't know i'm curious how you if you see a similar path with these videos as you do for like potential job loss or if you kind of see it how I do where I'm like I don't know where this fits into what anyone would want to do outside of like again like maybe generic stock videos
0: yeah so one of the things that I find interesting about this is leveraging existing video to make new video or leveraging some content visual content whether it's a single photo or a short video to create longer video okay for example The way that Adobe, or even more recently, like Samsung allows you to
1: fill out, yeah,
0: yeah, extend an image, fill out the blank spaces, right, recover something that wasn't there. This is sort of the same thing, where I don't necessarily see people creating standalone videos that will replace other human-made videos, but I do see it being used for B-roll. You don't realize how many YouTube videos just have cuts of random B-roll that people have paid for access to. Uh, There are countless services that allow you to pad out your videos with really well-shot, well-edited B-roll. This might make those obsolete because you have a role that you're talking in front of the camera to and you don't wanna pay for this $500 a year service. You just ask for a bunch of prompts And those prompts will actually be better because you can tailor them to your exact needs. The other thing that I'm thinking of, and I've seen this on YouTube already, is I'm not comfortable in front of the camera, but I wanna make a video. Here's a photo of me or a couple of seconds of video, analyze it, and then read this script with my face standing in whatever room, whatever backdrop I decide. It may not look perfect but it's a hell of a lot better than just listening to my voice, right? Think about this podcast, right? We can never get our shit together to record video of this podcast. It should go up on YouTube. (laughs) What happens if we say we have a transcript from Google that's perfectly accurate, and we upload it to GPT-4 Turbo or Gemini 1.5, right? It's an hour and a half of audio that's well within the context window. We have two photos, one of me, one of you, and we just say animate this, put Will and Daniel in a studio that looks like it's a, a podcast studio, but do it in the style of Mickey Mouse.
1: I would or hate whatever. That. I want you to know, I would hate. I would hate that more than just us actually <laughs> getting our shit together and making a video version of this podcast. I'd rather do that. Um, right, but I mean, yeah, that, that's
0: the thing is that this is going to be super easy to pull off yeah, yeah, yeah. because
1: especially as the tech gets better because the the, the the first version of that the first several versions of that they're gonna look rough right they're gonna not your face isn't gonna play it's it's gonna i mean it's gonna look like the vision pro you know maybe a little more realistic but the vision pro um personas which we should also do i think we should expense to vision pro headsets and then what we actually do is just record our avatars talking to each other yeah no like over time like i think as the technology gets better you could just be like this is me, this is Daniel, you can have camera A and camera B and put us in a room that looks like it's the same room and it just cuts back and forth as we're talking.
0: Yeah. I would not be surprised if that's happening, right? Yeah. And the fact that all of these new LLMs are multimodal means you don't need to provide text plus image plus video. You just need to provide one or two of those things and they can create the other part of it, right? You know, the the other potentially negative of this is creating content from a photo or a video, right? So you and I forget to podcast one week, and we have a photo of the two of us in our Mickey Mouse personas. We're like, look, we wanted to talk about Android 15 and Gemini, create a podcast transcript, and then upload it using our voices. And publish it on youtube as a standalone well, podcast
1: and this is episode 93 there is absolutely enough audio of the two of us <laughs> to do that of course like
0: we do i mean they're, they're, like that's it you know there's how many times have we heard of famous people yeah exactly getting deep faked because yeah. there's just so much proof out there right there's so much content for an llm to ingest and and i i don't know i mean it's, it's, this is the product yeah it's whether we like it or not so i'm not nervous about it really i just think it's it's just interesting Mm. to me it's just interesting
1: i do love the idea of us releasing an ai podcast and seeing if anyone if anyone notices i mean i think there was a there is an ai podcast oh i'm sure i'm sure but like just that just one one week's worth like like we just don't record episode like 97 right? We just put oh. out like an AI and we're like, not nah, just normal, normal week. And we just never address it. <laughs> That's a good idea. Maybe for our hundredth
0: episode our hundredth we'll episode, like, take is just a week off. AI, AI, nothing. Yeah. Why not? I like that. All right. There's a few grab bag things that we got to talk about. Mm-hmm. Microsoft said this week that it's bringing at least four previously Xbox or PC exclusive games to PS5 and the and switch. We don't have confirmation of those four games, but we know based on pretty good sourcing that it's likely Pentiment, Hi Fi Rush, Sea of Thieves, and Grounded. All games that have been a- around for a long time. I mean, Hi Fi Rush was released in early 2023. But yeah. I think they're Pentiment, good games like
1: late twenty two, but but Sea of Thieves and Grounded definitely older titles.
0: Yeah. I mean this is not hugely important, I think, because it's not like Microsoft is saying that they're going to stop creating consoles. I think the context that I find most interesting here is the same thing that's happened with, say, Death Stranding on on the iPhone, right? Is that games are just available or going to be available in more places. And that's a good thing for everybody, right? It doesn't really matter how or where you play your games. At the same time, Microsoft did say that there are no rush to bring Game Pass to the App Store, even though there is the ability to have this one app that can allow you to play all of the games inside of a streaming game service like Game Pass, because the monetization options are bad. And um, Phil Spencer, who leads the Xbox team, just says that he thinks Apple's not serious about it, that they're just doing it to meet DMA standards and i'm not surprised because that's probably true but it would be really nice to be able to just play your cloud supported game pass games on the iphone the way that you can on android today
1: i'm really surprised they didn't make that move because it's available to them and it feels it does feel a little petty i guess for lack of a lack of a better word to describe it i i you know the noise about previous exclusive games coming I, i don't think this news is as as you said it doesn't matter as much as like the noise around it i i think it's really stupid that microsoft let this um stink of failure kind of surround the xbox brand for a week from when it was rumored that they were thinking of bringing um indiana jones and starfield to playstation right and then they were like we'll talk about it next week and like, didn't say anything else. And I think they basically let the brand suffer for a full week so that they could do this like weird corporate podcast uh, slash like interview with the verge, which that makes more sense. The The podcast was weird. And it's like <sighs> the fact that they didn't even confirm the games. And so, but like, let's work off like the leaks, right? Like it's not like this is new ground for Microsoft. Really? Like I, I it's not that different than bringing cuphead and um oh, my cat is trying to jump out of my lap the Ori games to switch right like it's not like they're doing starfield and Indiana Jones which they should they should bring starfield because maybe that game please
0: God just like put starfield on my ti 83 like let's just <laughs> that put game it needs everywhere something, right like it's, it could possibly be because it it desperately needs that
1: it, it, it's it's just like you can sit there and you can reaffirm fans again after a week of a bunch of fear about what this was supposed to be. You can sit there and be like, don't worry guys. Like it's just fo- it's just two small indie titles and two old live service games and we're making new hardware. Don't stress about it. But like, I don't know. It seems clear that like the Xbox brand is like, has been lost for a decade now, like since the Xbox one announcement. And I just think it's really interesting that they, they like, they have tried all of these different things right down to buying some of the biggest, most popular studios in the world. And like nothing is solving this. These game pass numbers that they put out as part of this announcement, I think it's 34 million. million, Yeah. Yeah. Which sounds impressive on paper. They haven't talked about game pass subscribers in two years. And it sounds impressive until you remember that they rebranded Xbox live gold as game pass core. And that, that 34 million number includes that. Like the Verge confirmed with Microsoft that it includes those members. And it's like, oh, so like no one's signing up for Game Pass really. Like you might have lost members because I believe in 2022 the numbers were like 26 or 27 million. I don't have the article in front of me. So it's like not even that big of a jump if you're adding in Game Pass core members that were previously Xbox Live gold subscribers. So your your decision to pivot to like this Xbox Anywhere idea. I don't even know if it's going to work out. I just like, I feel like this company for as much money as Xbox makes, I don't fully understand their strategy. It feels like they're all over the place in a way that like, I have critiques about Sony and Nintendo's respective strategies for gaming. Like you can criticize both of them in different ways, but like they seem to at least have a direction and are following it. And that I just don't get that vibe from Xbox. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've sat with this for a week and I've, I thought we were going to get a bigger announcement and that was why they let this like noise sit for with no comment, And then like this podcast came out. They barely talked about anything interesting. And I was like, OK, you guys really don't know what you're doing. It comes down to the games, though. Yeah. The reason Sony makes
0: such a splash with its first party titles is that the games are incredibly good. Yeah. You know,
1: a lot of them aren't even like my cup of tea as a gamer. But I can look at something like The Last of Us games or whatever and be like, I absolutely get why those are as popular as they are. They're not really my thing, but, like, I get it. And, and kind of any anything else that follows, like, the first party like, Sony experience. I own a PS5 because Final Fantasy VII Rebirth comes out in, like, two weeks or whatever. And that's the only place you're going to be able to play it for a while. But that's my RPG brain I guess. But even stuff like that, right? Like it's that partnership they have with with developers like Square. There's been rumors forever, but that they don't even have to buy Square to get a timed exclusive on Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth, right? Like it's good, which is going to be one of the biggest games of the year. And Microsoft scoops up, you know, they 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 have Halo as a brand they haven't lever- have barely leveraged or haven't figured out how to leverage since Bungie left. They have Bethesda and Starfield fell flat on its face. They have activision now and like the first big move was like we're laying off a ton of our staff and then they had to go reassure governments of like don't worry guys they were gonna lay off people anyway like okay like they have all of this talent and like kind of nothing to show for it i guess i i think the activision blizzard deal
0: will end up working out in the long run Mm -hmm. Diablo Four coming to Game Pass. That sounds big. yeah, like that's the big. kind of thing that they can do now, and are that I think a lot of people will maybe sign up for Game Pass to play those kinds of games. At the same time, game development is very expensive and very hard, and we've seen blockbuster games just like not making much money, studios closing down immediately after a game bombs. You know, those are the kinds of things that these acquisitions insulate against to some extent, but then you wonder, are they expected to push the boundaries anymore or are they just gonna play it safe? And the fact that like Bethesda's next game is coming out in what, 2026? Like Blade? Or is it 2025?
1: Oh, yeah, whenever whenever that's supposed to that Blade game is supposed to come out. Yeah. I mean it's it's I mean I mean that's the other issue with like making every game as big as it can be is that not only are they going to be incredibly expensive to the point where they need to be massive successes for it to even break even like on a scale that like movies don't even have to deal with but they're also going to be five six seven years out every single time and you know that's not counting development restarts that's not counting studio heads leaving right or like like creative leads leaving the company halfway through development and and spiraling out like I don't know. That is an issue. And that's not just a Microsoft issue. Like, that's going to affect Sony. I think it has affected Sony in some ways. Like, it's affected Nintendo to a lesser extent, mostly just because they're working on hardware that cannot hold up on the power scale. So, games don't take quite as long to build out. But as you continue to push fidelity above all, like, realism above all, like, I think you're going to see a lot of stuff like that.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And here I am just playing Mario on my Switch. (laughs) I mean, you know, like... There are worse things, like I'm keeping my eye out for... I haven't really picked up my Switch since I got a Steam Deck. I just haven't felt the need. I'm playing Persona 3 Reload on my Steam Deck. It's not on Switch anyway, even if I wanted to play it there. Maddie and I have a deal that we'll go and have these on a Switch 2 whenever they announce it because we know that like those Nintendo exclusives will be there. That's the library. On the other hand, I'll probably never buy another Xbox, not because I don't like it, not because I don't even think like... They have good game studios under the Microsoft brand but because like I have a PC or I have a Steam Deck and I know that those games will be there anyway which is kind of what Microsoft is saying what they want to happen mm-hmm. but those games still aren't coming out. I mean there's Tomb
0: Raider remake 1 through 3 so I could always go back to the I 90s could, for a minute. I could I might download those this weekend see what they're like. I all never about. played them. I don't
1: have any nostalgia for them. I never Oh uh, no,
0: you're right. You're too young for that.
1: I wasn't I had a PlayStation 1. It was my first console. I'm not like too young. The first
0: didn't... Tomb Raider came out in
1: 1996. Yeah, I was 1 year old and I Right. <laughs> okay, I got my so... PS1 in 2000. I don't know what you want from me. Um I had Crash Bandicoot. I had I had Spyro 2. I was a I was a 3D platformer kid.
0: I'm just saying as precocious as you were, you weren't playing Tomb Raider on the PlayStation 1 in
1: 1996. Uh no. I was not. I can't. I can't come up with a defense for this.
0: Okay. The S24 is getting its first major update on the 22nd of February. It's all about the camera, a little bit about the screen. A lot of people making some waves about how the S24's display isn't as vivid yeah. as previous versions. Yeah. I have a, I have some bad news for you. It's the best <laughs> screen Samsung has ever made.
1: It is. I is. I'm glad you feel this way. I feel like I've been going insane. Because I genuinely like like when I got the phone, I got the phone on announcement day, like an hour before Samsung took the stage. I had the phone in my hand and I was like, wow, this screen looks great. I don't know what they did, but like it's really. And, and I realized later that like it was like, oh, the saturation's not like as punchy. Like it looks really good. And then like Samsung fans got the phone and they were like, what the fuck, guys? I can't believe this isn't stabbing me in the eyes with like how saturated it is. Like I just. I don't want to piss off any samsung fans in our in our listenership but i do think you guys maybe just aren't used to looking at a calibrated screen
0: it's true it's like you've been red-pilled by <laughs> uh turning the vibrance yeah. knob up to ten thousand on all samsung phones till now and now you're looking at a screen that's properly calibrated and you're like oh i don't i, I think this is this is wrong but no it's actually gorgeous yeah every time i turned on the s24 ultra i would just like stare at it because it's like paper it It doesn't reflect it's beautiful and vibrant this display is flat now so it doesn't have those weird edge aberrations anymore like it's just gorgeous it's one of my favorite screens i've ever seen agreed so i mean turn that vibrant slider all the way up if you want folks but like i don't i think you should challenge yourself not to you should
1: i i will say i i I think ZKD told me that, like, one of the toggles isn't actually, or at least on his phone, isn't actually working at all. And, and, like, if that's true, like, you should fix those bugs. I'm not saying don't. But for the most part, I think that screen is, like, really well-tuned out of the box. And and just give yourself a couple days to get used to it. And I think it is is what you should be using.
0: Nothing Phone 2A comes out March 5th. This is likely going to launch at the 400 euro mark, give or take. Yeah. MediaTek, SoC, the standard stuff, right? But Yeah, really what's limited most
1: interesting, US release. They're basically just not bringing it
0: here. Like, Yeah, I don't think they need to. They but don't. the OnePlus 12R and yeah. the Pixel 7a and the Galaxy A54, eventually. Pixel 8a coming, yeah, yeah. It's just not worth bringing it to the US. But there's an interesting video that Carl Pay hosts slash answers questions on that I've, I think all of you need to watch. It's embedded in the article that we have in the show notes. He's just so flippant about the mid-range market that I I find it hilarious that he just pretends that there's no real competition. Because they don't care. These companies, they just outsource the entire thing. Usually when, so they will put a lot of care and energy into the best products, but for the non-flagship phones, they just, a lot of times just outsource it. I think a lot of people, when they're making products like this, they're assuming the user has low IQ. So they're putting uh, useless things into the product that make it look good on paper, but actually don't help the user experience. Go watch it. Tell us what you think, because Carl Pei is a marketing genius. It does not mean that his products are actually better than the competition. So, yeah, tilting my head on that one.
1: Very confused about this phone. I'm looking. I just don't know why you would pick this over pretty much anything else on the market if it launches at 400 euro. Like, that's all I can say about it. And then finally,
0: uh, I've been watching Mr. and Mrs. Smith this week. Great show. You should watch it. But it's the first time that I have watched uh, Amazon Prime video with ads there's now a class action lawsuit that's attempting to be accepted by the courts i think it's in california that purports that you can't just change the service that you're already paying for uh, and make it more expensive annually
1: specifically i think yeah it's because you're paying for prime annually and it's they just were like doesn't matter like you're not grandfathered in here are some ads yeah, like yeah exactly so not only do you have to pay
0: three dollars a month more to get uh, no ads but they took away dolby vision and dolby atmos support
1: and they didn't talk about and they didn't it. say anything they it, this was not in the announcement it was this was like out of nowhere um i've also been maddie and i are three episodes into mr and mrs smith which is very charming um, it's very good it's very good I'm i'm really enjoying it and honestly like If you pressed me, no, I probably don't have a good enough TV to really notice that Dolby Vision wasn't active or whatever. I think it's dumb, but, like, it didn't occur to me. And, like, I have an Atmos-equipped soundbar, but, like, it's an Atmos-equipped soundbar, so it doesn't... It's not going to actually give me that much of an effect. And then, at the same time, like, the ads quick ad that played before the start of the show like is not enough for me to like care enough to pay three dollars a month extra to get rid of it so but that's
0: just that show right that's because it's true. being sponsored by whatever
1: yeah that's true well I haven't watched um I haven't really I, haven't, I don't watch a lot on prime I guess I I I started asteroid city and I didn't finish it I think that might have had an ad in front of it but that was pretty much it the other mm-hmm. reason I added this to the show notes is because after you talked about Netflix's ad plan last week i was like you know what i'll give it it's seven dollars a month or whatever eight dollars whatever it is yeah I'll, i'll give it a shot because i had been off netflix for for several months now i would say their ads are fine both in terms of how long they play and even like i watched a movie with ads in it with like three ad breaks and like they're clearly going through and actually picking manually where these ad breaks are because they were in kind of like how cable is like in a timed spot where it would make sense not just like a 2b tv like middle of a sentence cut to an ad but man like that netflix library it's not good like it's in a really i i was really surprised i looked through netflix for a while at least in the i know you and i have different libraries daniel but it's, it's most, it's awkward yeah it, it's it's mostly it's mostly just um at least in the u.s like a lot of their stuff that isn't like netflix originals is like all the shit that warner brothers didn't want on max <laughs> Like, it's a lot of licensed Warner Brothers stuff, like all of the DCEU movies and stuff. I was like, wow, I just feel like there's not a lot for me here. And also, I feel like a sucker for paying for Max because all of this stuff is over here now. Like, it it really, like, made me feel like an idiot for paying for any streaming service.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what they're trying to do, right? They're like, yeah, you don't need to pay $20 a month, but I'll show you three minutes of ads every half hour and you'll be fine with this. Anyway, that's it. Uh, we're going to leave it there. Will?
1: It's two o'clock. The, uh, the embargo lifted. Oh, there you go. Go read, go read it on go the read site. read about Android. <laughs>
0: uh, in, the, in the past. <laughs> all right, that's it. Send us some feedback, podcast, and androidpolice.com. We love hearing from you. Tell us what you think about all the, all the news from this week. Are you going to put Android 15 developer preview one on your phone? You probably shouldn't, but uh, if you do, let us know how it goes. What do you think about Gemini? What do you think about Sora? What do you think about Samsung's terrible screen vibrance until this year tell us everything we like hearing from you Will, I hope you have a great weekend and uh, too, rest man. up enjoy it I will be off uh, Monday but I will that won't really matter for anybody listening but uh, just tell me tell me that to have a me. nice long weekend.
1: The, I'll miss you thanks buddy all right I'm gonna I'm gonna send you DMS and oh <laughs> sure do your best just, hey how's it going enjoying enjoying family day oh god all right that's it
0: have a good week we'll talk to you soon bye-bye Bye. Stop. Stop.
1: Okay, so Carl, we recently announced Phone 2A. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Kind of why have we also called it 2A? What's that A about?
0: You know at nothing our vision is to make the best tech products for the new generation of young and creative thinkers. Cool. So what-